Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Let's revisit our lead story today. As many of you heard late last week, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau surprised many uh, saying that Ottawa will pause the federal carbon tax on home heating oil in Atlantic Canada, Ontario and the Prairie Provinces. Um, the Trudeau's government's uh, carbon tax was being blamed for significant unhappiness in the Atlantic provinces, where the uh, federal policy was introduced earlier this year to replace a patchwork of inconsistent uh, provincial policies. Of course, the, the, the repercussions from that announcement uh, late Thursday, uh, Thursday last week are profound, and since then it's driven debate in our province and many other provinces as well. The BC NDP is now facing pressure to reduce the provincial uh, carbon tax. Uh, today, Kevin Falcon, leader of the BC United, said he would eliminate the provincial fuel tax, currently at about 15%, 15 cents per litre on gasoline and diesel, and remove the carbon tax on all home heating fuels. He was on this show at 3 o'clock. Take a listen to his comments. I want to confirm this from you at this point. If Pierre Polyev is elected Prime Minister of Canada in the next federal election and he kills the carbon tax, would you kill the carbon tax here in British Columbia? Yes or no? Yes. You would just kill it? Yes. The carbon tax was very effective, especially in the early years before this government started really cranking it up. You know, we had public support. Uh, We were getting emissions reductions. Uh, the New York Times wrote about it and said, yes, they, you know, there's, there's an example of a success that can work. But remember, anytime you do these kind of things, you have to do it in the context of what can people afford. You have to bring the public along with you. You can't just say, okay, that's it. We're not going to make it a tax shift anymore, as the NDP did. We're going to now take it all into the province and take that. View. And then we're going to keep cranking it up on you and pretend that we're going to give you these tiny rebates that don't come close to the net cost that it's costing you and your family and pretend that that's somehow solving the problems. It's not. That's Kevin Falcon, BC United leader, announcing his carbon plan uh, today. Now, what wasn't answered, and I did ask him that question, it's not in that soundbite there, was how do you replace the revenue that if he killed the carbon tax next year, next year in this province alone, revenue from the carbon tax for the provincial government would be just around $3 billion. That's with a B, folks. Um, and we still have uh, healthcare costs that always uh, go up, uh, education costs, social service costs, post-secondary education costs. That's a, a giant hole in the provincial budget, and I'm not yet convinced how we're going to replace that. Now, of course, Prime Minister Trudeau, uh, of course, wanting to make sure he can solidify his support in Atlantic Canada, making the announcement in and around the exemptions for the carbon tax. Well, today he was asked if he plans to expand carbon pricing exemptions. Take a listen. There will absolutely not be any other carve-outs or suspensions of the price on pollution. This is designed to phase out home heating oil the way we made a decision to phase out coal. Now, when we decided to phase out coal as a country, um, there were provinces that had long gone from coal that didn't help them at all that we were phasing out coal because they'd already done it. Others needed to step uh, step up to do it. This is specifically about ending the use of home heating oil, which is more polluting, more expensive, and impacts low-income Canadians to a greater degree. 
So it's quite the debate. Uh, and I want to say this once again, uh, the exemption that Prime Minister Trudeau talked about last week impacts Atlantic Canada, Ontario and the Prairie Provinces. We have our own carbon policy here. Uh, although, as I said, the uh, provincial government may be forced to do something just because every other region in the country is going to have an exemption when it comes to heat, home heating oil. And home heating oil here in British Columbia represents 1.8% of people who use different varieties of energy. So it's a very small amount of folks, about thirty to 35,000 households. Not a huge amount, but certainly the message is clear. Nobody expected a, a government that supports carbon and carbon policy uh, to now provide exemptions. Well, joining me now to talk a little bit about the politics behind the carbon tax is Ujil Desange, the former Premier of BC. Ujil, thank you for joining us. Good to be with you. Uh, climate change is real. We all agree on that. The majority of us, I think, agree on that. Yet we're all struggling to deal with how we fight and deal with climate change, particularly on the government level, on the provincial level, the federal level, some would even argue on the municipal level. How do you, how, how do you read all this in regards to the federal announcement, the provincial repercussions? How do you see this? Well, I mean, we're at an impasse. I mean, if Pierre Polyev win, wins next time, he'll cancel the carbon tax. Mr. Trudeau has already created a big dent in that policy itself with the carve-outs. Um, on home heating oil, and in fact, uh, British Columbians should feel somewhat discriminated against <laughs> in terms of in terms of the Not leadership. The <laughs> you know, I mean, you don't show leadership by saying we're going to treat different provinces differently. That is absolutely a lack of leadership in a country like ours. And um, and you know, the, I think that both the political parties are major political parties are simply looking um, uh, to their 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 votes in the next election. Uh, we know from polling that the um, uh, voters that support the Conservatives, generally speaking, dislike the carbon tax. Um, and similarly, those that support the NDP or the Liberals uh, support the carbon tax. Uh, so you have uh, essentially people lined up um, accordingly. And, and that really, in a country like ours, uh, can't work. Because if um, one government comes in and brings in a policy and the other government comes in and throws the policy out, how do we make progress? I mean, in times like this, what you really need is a genuine national conversation about whether or not what we're doing is working and whether or not what we're doing is actually too expensive to afford as well. I mean, you're saying uh, that that carbon tax um, produces uh, $3 billion for B.C., it wasn't supposed to do that, was it? No, so it was supposed to be was supposed to be neutral, and um, you know, and and therefore, I think that those are big issues that people need to discuss. And the only way they can discuss that is if if people show some leadership and say, you know, I'm going to bring the country together. Perhaps it's time for a national conversation on this, where you have people from all over the country being invited by the prime minister for a big uh, thing kind of a, a big discussion, a big debate. Um, instead, what you have is both parties are dug in in their positions, and uh, and that's not good for the country. That's not leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, the core issue of the carbon tax, one would argue, is to change behavior. Uh, and, and when I look at from afar, is it changing behavior when I see Exxon and Chevron in the last two weeks have announced, I think, individual purchases of about $120 billion, just under that, where they've purchased other fossil fuel companies. I think this case is natural gas. They're doubling down on fossil fuels, basically saying our consumption patterns are still going to rely on fossil fuels. You have General Motors um, that said they were going to sell 400,000 EVs by 
mid-2024, that what they're saying is people are still buying EVs, but what's happening is those who can afford $70,000 vehicles have bought those vehicles, and the ne that next generation of buyer uh, is much more sensitive in regards to its their wallet, and they don't buy $60,000, $70,000 vehicles. They're going to have to drive down costs, but they're not going to be able to meet their targets. It looks like we've hit the wall somewhere along the way in regards to people's affordability and how fast people are willing to change their behavior. And one could argue the carbon tax may not be the right thing to do, or maybe we aren't, it isn't changing behavior that's enough for us to be ch expecting people to ch pay more and more every single year till 2030, because it is going up significantly as well. Well, it isn't changing the behavior very much. I mean, it, it, we, we know that carbon tax isn't working as well as it should, as uh, well as people said it would. Um, and the affordability issue is very real for people. I mean, how many people can afford $70,000 vehicles? Um, and the other issue, of course, is that even the electric vehicles and the kind of inputs they have uh, with respect to the minerals and the like, um, you know, um, I understand their footprint is big enough um, that if you drive them for 15 or 20 years, that simply makes up for the footprint they cause. And then you, and then you have the issue of electricity. Um, eventually, uh, that may go up as well. And the charging facilities, all those issues are very real, and we're not really having a discussion. Mm -hmm. We're not having a national discussion. We're not having a provincial discussion in this province or in any other province, and that really isn't leadership. Is part of the challenge, um, Ujil, that it, it's it's because I mean, uh, you know, depending on what study you look at, generally it's assumed that it took about you know seventy five years for oil to surpass coal as the major energy source in this world, and our transition to a greener economy hopefully will be a lot faster, but we can only move as fast as technology allows. Now, we can only move as fast as behavior allows, and we can only move as fast as people's uh, finances allow, and that we're moving just too quickly in this energy transition. Well, we, we are, and I think that the, and the current economic situation with the interest rates is making everybody's life harder, mm -hmm. particularly those that can afford not afford to buy those kinds of cars and those kinds of expensive things that they need to do to bring our, our carbon footprint down. So, you know, it, it over, overall, I mean, people are suffering and the political parties are dug in in their positions and there isn't much thoughtful discussion about these issues beyond partisanship. What you need on issues like this um, you know, environmental issues, uh, carbon footprint issues. Mm -hmm. What you need is a discussion that's honest, that's nonpartisan, that's principle-based. And, and, you know, I don't believe we've had that for a long time in this country on this particular issue. Mm -hmm. um, is it impossible in this polarized environment to have that conversation? It's impossible to have it two years before the election or a year before the election. You can do it if you if you begin a new election cycle and you go in and you win the election and you say you know we're going to have a national uh, discussion a national conversation for this for the next six months and then come up with policies that are designed for the future that is possible but not at the tail end of that mandate. Mm -hmm. Well, Joe, thank you for your time today. Really appreciate it. You're most welcome. 